This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a union town, and that stretches way, way back. This week marks the 131st anniversary of the deadly Battle of Homestead. It was probably the most violent conflict here, like, ever between steelworkers and management, all over low wages. Historian Maura Bainbridge talked to CityCast's Morgan Moody last year about why that legacy still matters today. It's Wednesday, July 5th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. So if you grew up here, I guess you probably heard about the Homestead Steel Strike. I am sure I did in some social studies class, some history class. I don't remember. I don't remember most of the details, at least. Uh, But could you give us a general breakdown of like what happened and the big players at that time? Like what were the sides? Who were who was who was fighting? Sure. So you've probably well, you've definitely heard of some of the sides. Right. So um, at the time, we're talking 1892. There's steel mills where the waterfront is now today in Homestead. So there's the amalgamated uh, iron and steel workers. That that's the union fighting for recognition in the Homestead Works. And then there's the Carnegie Steel Corporation owned by Andrew Carnegie. Probably familiar with that guy. I've heard of him. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then Frick, Henry Clay Frick. And the big deal um, happening at the time is that the price of steel, so this, there's a sliding scale wage system, which meant that the amount that folks got paid in the Homestead Steel Works was based on how much steel is selling for. Mm-hmm. And the Carnegie Steel Corporation has basically a monopoly on steel at this time, so they can set the prices. Yeah. So if it's a sliding scale wage system, then they're basically setting the wages artificially on that too. Mm. Um, so the workers didn't love that. Yeah, that's shady. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> shady. Um, so basically, Carnegie Steel is trying to lower the uh, sliding scale. So they're, beca- they're arguing that because there's no top end to that sliding scale, then there shouldn't be a bottom end to it either. Workers are not okay with that. And they also want to um, maintain recognition of their union. So since Carnegie Steel Corporation is running all these other local mills, they don't want any unions because then they kind of have to have unions in all the uh, mills. So that that one mill was one of the only ones with that had a union at the time. Yeah, the Homestead Works. Yeah. So I guess when it was time for them to negotiate, what led up to the strike? Sure. Yeah. So Carnegie and Frick, his you know people often call him his henchman. That's probably one of those other guys we remember from history class, right? They. Um, 
kind of had an idea of what's going on here, right? So in the mill, we're gearing up production, kind of anticipating that there might be a strike. So we still are stockpiling products so we can keep selling through a strike, stuff like that. Um, and Frick goes so far as to build a wall around the homestead works and, and they call like it- Like a fort. Yeah, they called it Fort Frick, <laughs> right? So we talk about um, labor conflicts sort of as strikes, but this was a lockout, right? The workers are locked out of the mill. They can't get in. They couldn't work if they wanted to, right? Mm -hmm. At this time in Homestead, it's like about a third of people living in Homestead are working in the mills. And so that's people's whole families. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was normal at that time. Yeah. And that's like the whole community, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of just neighborhood solidarity with workers in the mills. And so since they're locked out, everyone's taking up arms, right? And the whole borough or the whole Olive Homestead's on strike. So everyone's striking and talking trash. Then we get to July 6th. What happens? There's Two barges that come down the river and they're carrying 300 Pinkerton detectives. Who are they again? Those are, that's another name we maybe remember from history class, right? These Pinkerton detectives, in quotes here, they're really just like hired guys to sort of break the strike, to get in there. Are they like, are they like police? Are they like agents? Are they like... Yeah, so there's a lot of... Um, these sort of like private detective agencies at this time. And they're really in the business of strike breaking and they're working for these capitalists. We, we see it in a lot of other labor strikes. They go by names of like detectives or guards, but really they're just like hired guns. So on July 6th, these 300 Pinkerton detectives, guards, whatever we want to call them, um, they're come up the Monongahela River on a tugboat. Well, a tugboat's pulling these barges. And like I said, since all of Homestead is is ready to fight, um, they, they met them at the river, right? Is, it, is this like in the middle of the night? No, this is like in the morning. Okay. I just need to set the scene. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so they're blocking the Pinkertons from getting into Homestead. They're um, doing things like bringing a Civil War cannon and like launching it towards the Pinkertons trying to get in. And they're, you know, setting like a raft on fire and sort of floating it out <laughs> towards the barges, really just like whatever they can do to prevent them. And the Pinkertons, I think, you know, the story goes that they maybe like didn't all the way know what they signed up for. I, I, I mean, I feel like cannons come out and you can't know what you signed <laughs> up for. You think you're just breaking a strike. Right. And and remember, right, that they're detectives in name, right? So there, there's a little bit of deniability there, too. Hey, Pittsburgh. I want to tell you about a real steel town hero. Mary Cardwell Dawson was just the coolest. Not only was she the proprietess of that gorgeous Victorian mansion on Apple Street in Homewood, but inside it, she presided over the National Negro Opera Company. She founded guilds for other black singers all over the nation, and she was a mentor for fellow opera singers from here to Washington, D.C. And lucky for you, our modern Pittsburgh opera 
has a show celebrating her legacy. Get your tickets now for The Passion of Mary Cardwell Dawson. It's at the Bayam Theater through May 5th. And don't be nervous if you're new to opera. The show is in English. It's just over an hour and features a little dialogue for folks to follow along. Tickets start at just $15, and there are all kinds of discounts and special offers for students, teachers, seniors, and veterans. Get your tickets now in our show notes for the Pittsburgh Opera. That's at pittsburghopera.org. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What, what gave the workers, like, such confidence? I guess to act. You know, I, I mean, yeah. I just, sure. I feel like if that's how many jobs are there really that people are trained for in you know, 1890s. I feel like if you work at a steel mill, you know, that's kind of what you know. Yeah, I think um, most of the towns working here, that's a, a really huge employer. Mm-hmm. And the danger of the work in general is really important too, right? So if you if you might die or, or lose a limb or something just at a regular day in your workplace in a steel mill, then maybe the danger of fighting Pinkertons isn't that much different than a a regular day in your life, you know? So what happens? How does this all shake out? So the workers, um, they did end up beating the Pinkertons, right? They're defeated. They're marched out of town. They're put on trains out of town, back to where they came from. And then Mm -hmm. the National Guard comes in uh, six days later on July 12th, sort of, this is another piece of a lot of these uh, strike or, or labor conflict stories at the time. Were they were they only fighting for that one day? Yeah. Like so after that, the battle was, happens okay. on July 6th. Um, okay. And then workers are sort of controlling Homestead for that next six days. And then Pennsylvania National Guard comes in. Again, we get this narrative of them restoring order. Um that happens often. And then replacement workers are coming are brought in to Carnegie Steelworks, Homestead Steelworks, and sort of the strike effort, the union effort loses steam. And then there's not a union in the steel mill until I think the thirties, nineteen thirty seven. It took that long. Um, yeah, to get a union back after the Battle of Homestead. Wow. So how did it change labor? Labor organization here in Pittsburgh and just in America? I think that um, within labor circles and, and definitely within organizing, while it the workers ultimately were defeated, it, it is still this really powerful tale simply because the players are so huge, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's really an underdog story of taking on Andrew Carnegie, right, and, and Carnegie Seal Corporation and winning, ultimately winning that day. Um, so it, it showed that that was possible. And I, I think that yeah. that was a kind of rallying point for a lot of other um, 
labor struggles that are happening at this similar time, like Pullman happens about a year later. Yeah, that huge railroad strike and boycott. Yeah, there's a lot of similar labor struggles that go on around this time. Yeah, a lot of these struggles are still happening today. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's where a lot of our rights come from, right? The weekend, mm-hmm. worker compensation, all these sort of things. And I mean, you can still see the remnants of all of this at the waterfront today. If folks haven't been there in a while, it is super interesting to poke around the waterfront and sort of see the machinery that's still there. So there's like 12,000 ton press and there's a crane and there's... um the iconic stacks, right, of, of the waterfront. And I think that's another thing that we just sort of take for granted growing up in the Pittsburgh region. There's a lot of, like, industrial equipment just hanging around. But at the waterfront, some of them have sort of signs just slapped on them. Um, and I would encourage people to, you know, think about the language that's on them. A lot of those narratives are about... Um, nation building and like the ships that were built from the steel that came from homestead works and not necessarily the people who worked at homestead works building that steel or or building those ships or anything like that. Right. Um, So it's worth a, worth a walk around the perimeter for sure. Right. I mean, I've been to the waterfront, you know, but I didn't know there was this whole bloody battle on top of the ground where, you know, TJ Maxx is now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's um, a 12,000 ton press in the Lowe's parking lot. And I've heard that, you know, it was just like too expensive and too heavy to reinforce the roads to take it out. So mm-hmm. they just left it there. And now there's a sign on it. Well, so I know you've studied this for a long time. If you take a step back, why do you think it's important to look back on this and for it to be more universally taught, not just in Pittsburgh, but everywhere? So this is like a a really hot period in labor history and and in kind of, this is not the only place where these are kind of the working conditions, right? So we we have, we learn about kind of these um, robber barons of the time, right? And that's often, I think, the historical narrative, right? That there's these really rich guys, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, who are driving industry, or, or we might have narratives like that, right? Really what they're doing is exploiting their workers. Yeah, making their fortunes off of these workers. And we have sort of modern day versions of this too. Right. We have your Amazons that are denying their workers' rights and, and accumulating ungodly amounts of money. And yeah. it, it's similar stories. And so I think that is what to me is so important about learning and maintaining this history is that it's not over right we're we're living really similar narratives and if we can reflect on how those similarities then i think not only are we learning a, a more accurate history right it's not like just these kind of great men's stories um we're learning about the the worker power right? The, mm-hmm. the cannons that they're launching and the meeting the Pinkertons, right? But we're also, it, it's inspirational to know that those workers fought for rights and we can do that today too. And I think it also sort of gives us a responsibility to keep pushing the ball forward, right? And, and keep building a more just world because we have to understand that, that those rights were fought for. 
um, and not just given. Thank you so much, Mara, for joining us on CityCast Pittsburgh. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The Battle of Homestead Foundation is commemorating the anniversary tomorrow, July 6th, at 6 p.m. at the Pump House in Munhall. There's going to be some fun historical stuff, but also some talk about how what happened in 1892 sort of mirrors more recent unionization efforts here in industries like healthcare, media, retail, and more. A little news before you go. The American Academy of Pediatrics says kids really shouldn't start school before 8.30 in the morning. And Pittsburgh Public agrees that its current middle and high school starts of 7.15 are too early. They get it. So they pushed it back to 7.40. Advocates tell WESA it's, quote, a good start. District leaders also finally said that they would stop charging children with criminal summary citations for acting out in school. It's a temporary measure, but hey, it's something. If you've been with us for a while, you may remember we talked about this last year. Students in Allegheny County schools, that's all of them, all the districts combined, are more likely to be arrested here. We're talking about little kids than anywhere else in the state, especially black girls. We'll put a link to that episode in our show notes. And there's a new mural in Squirrel Hill meant to reflect on the synagogue shooting. It's by Kyle Holbrook and titled Peace, and it's supposed to draw on all the temporary memorials set up in the aftermath of the attack in 2018. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, leave us a nice rating, say good things in the feed, and subscribe to that Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to y'all soon. It was, I I got like mercilessly... uh, booed it wasn't even teased just booed every class like they'd ask like where i was from and i'd be like pittsburgh and everybody would boo throw things